Hey, we want to thank you for taking time out of your busy schedules to join us on the JF Podcast. It is our hope that this most recent talk teaches you, inspires you, and challenges you to live the life you were designed to live. If this message has helped you in some way, help someone else by sharing it. And if you want more information about who we are, what we do, or you'd like to contribute to our community, you can find us at JolietNaz.org. Thanks so much for listening. We good? We good? Yeah, all right. Hey, Tom, thanks for your enthusiasm. I'm going to try again. Maybe, maybe the rest of you could join him in this. Hey, good morning to you. All right. Thank you for braving the snow and the cold. Uh, I'm really, truly just glad that you're here this morning. Uh, we are in part three of this series. Uh, we're in part three of this series, um, Explore God. And uh, today we're talking about this difficult question. The whole point of this series is to work through difficult questions that many of us ask and many of us think about, uh, but none of us openly talk about. Um, come on, just be honest. You've asked some of the questions that we've covered the last couple weeks and things that you struggle with. And, and if you're new here or it's your, the first time here or you're on this quest for God, at the end of the day, um, you ask some tough questions. And so we've been going through them. And today is why would God, supposedly who created us and is all loving, why would God allow pain and suffering in the world? It's a fantastic question. So do we have notes back there today, Ron, on that TV? All right, well, I'll use this up here. Um, but today we're gonna answer that question and it's so difficult um, because many of us go through this. So the first thing that came to mind when um, I was preparing for this message was a, a couple years ago, I was going to a gym and uh, that's kind of a gross overestimation. I was infrequently going to a gym and uh, the day I went, I decided that I was going to uh, work on triceps. I don't, I'm gonna let you a little secret on my wife. Um, she loves uh, giant hairy triceps. And my kids tell me I got the hairy part down. They say I look like the abominable snowman, um, but I, I don't have the tricep part down. And so I was going to the gym and I was working out triceps. And I remember I was doing these pull downs. Y'all seen this machine at the gym? If you go to the gym, you've seen this machine. It looks like a human. It's got these two arms. That, like, it's like it's standing here, it goes like this. And you can move the arms up, down, left, right, and you can do all kinds of cool exercises. I'm, well, I was on that machine and um, I'm doing pull downs, getting my, my swole on, when all of a sudden I feel the cable just go limp. And well, that's odd. And before I could say or think anything else, it was like someone who weighed like six, 700 pounds and just sat on top of me. And I, next thing I know, I'm like on my knees and I'm really a little unsure what's going on. And, you know, I'm like, wow, that also kind of hurt. I, so I'm feeling my head and I stick my fingers in my head and I have this huge indentation in my head. And uh, my wife tells me like when your kids, when it's going out, when it's swelling, that's good. If it's an indent, it's bad. And I literally could, I'm like sticking my fingers in this thing. And what had happened was apparently, I don't know if the pin came out, but the arm came down and there's a metal plate around the pulley that went right into the top of my head. And so all of a sudden I'm feeling my head and I feel a warm sensation come over me. Ooh, like a hot sauna or, you know, a mud bath. I've never had a mud bath. I'm just guessing what it would be like. And um, I just remember all of a sudden there was this warm sensation and I pull my fingers out and of course there's blood all over my hand. 
And when I lift it out, the blood starts shooting. I can see it literally spurting out in front of me. And I'm like, well, this probably isn't good. So I took my, my germ-infested hand that had touched all that nasty equipment, and I put it back on top of my head. And I ran over to the—there was only two of us in the gym that day, and his name was Doug. And I said, Doug. And of course, he's on a treadmill, and his back is to me, and he doesn't see what's going on. And, and so imagine just turning around and seeing the passion of Christ. I mean, it's like— I mean, he turns around and you could see the look on his face. It was like he'd seen a zombie, a walking zombie. And the blood is, is going down my face. It's all over my shirt. And, and I literally can see it. I'm thinking, this is not good. I mean, really, it's probably not good at all. And I know that head wounds, they, you know, they bleed a lot. But this was um, a bit excessive on, at least I think it was. And so he looks at me and he says, he gets off the treadmill. He's totally panicked. And he says, what do you want me to do? And I said, please get some help. <laughs> and so I thought, I'm the only one back here at this point. Uh, there's probably a good chance uh, I'm going to pass out. And I thought, wow, it actually went through my mind. This would be an interesting way to die. And so I'm like, I don't want to die here in this place. And so I followed Doug. I'm like, I'm just going to run up with him. And when I came out of the gym and I turned the corner, it just so happened to be the time that all of the preschool and kindergarten kids were changing their classes. And so I turned the hall and there's like 30 of them lined up in the hallway. And I'm like, oh my goodness. They have never seen a ginger Frankenstein before with blood running down their face. And they're just all staring at me. And I thought this is not going well. So I had to make a split decision and I decided I don't want these poor kids to suffer for the rest of their life. So I decided to pull my shirt. It was a white t-shirt. Wow, what a day to do that. White t-shirt. I pulled it up over my head. And then I remember, oh yeah, it's sweaty. I've been laying on the ground. It's probably just as dirty as my hands. And I made a go for it. Not thinking that, hey, great. Now the kids are going to see how fat I am and my belly's hanging. It was just really gross. Anyway, I make it to the front. And again, they're asking, what do you want us to do? A towel would be nice. Perhaps an ambulance, maybe call 911. I don't know. I mean, whatever seems reasonable to you. And so uh, I sit down. They finally find a towel. They put it on my head. They did call the ambulance. You would think it would be these guys right here. No, they call the fire department all the way by the speedway. So 20 minutes later, they show up. And I'm near the point of passing out at this point. I can feel it. You, again, we talked about it last week. You know when it's coming. Starts to close in on you, and I'm, I'm feeling it. And paramedics get there and they say, Hey, how are you feeling? They're asking me all these questions. I'm like, Hey, let's just get moving. And they're like, Okay, on the count of three. And I said, I don't have till three. You're going to be picking me up off this floor. So I just, they start counting and I just jump on the gurney. We get in the ambulance. They take my blood pressure. Now, this may have been dumb. I was not eating a, a whole lot that day. And I, was, my, I heard it was good to take an aspirin, so, which apparently thins out the blood. And um, so I get in there and they're like, dude, your blood pressure is like, I don't know, 75 over 50 or 80 over something. I'm like, is that normal? And they're like, the, it's kind of dangerously low. And then they said, are you glycemic? I mean, your, your blood sugar is like 50 or 55. And I, said, I don't think so. And they're asking me all these questions and you could, it was like this aura, you could feel it. Uh, everything started to move its way up my body. It's starting to go numb and, and uh, I could feel it in my belly and in my arms and they're asking me questions and I know the answer, but my lips keep pursing up. I can't get the words out. And it was really a, maybe that's what it's like to be close to death. I don't know, but I'm sitting here and I'm trying to tell them and they said, we got to get a hold of your wife. What's her number? And so I give them the number. 
They close the doors, we're taken off, and all of a sudden, I keep getting this phone call. And I'm like, who in the world is calling me when I'm on my deathbed? And so I'm clicking this, you know, the delete button right over here, and um, I just keep clicking it. And finally, uh, I, I listen to the message as I'm writing, and it dawns on me that I gave the paramedics or the gym my number and not my wife's number. And so she had no clue that I was on my way to the ER and um, somehow they got a hold of her and she and John Vogel met me over there and I'm thinking, great, we're gonna get some help. They put me in a wheelchair, they wheel me in and I'm thinking I'm gonna get a room and they wheel me right on out to the waiting room with everyone else. Hey, not here's a shirt, here's a towel. Please cover your face. You look uglier than you were before. And nothing like that. It was just, will, will you out? And they turned me around so I can face everyone. And I thought I had enough people staring at me at the gym. Nope, here I am in the ER looking at everybody and kids. Wow. And so I sit there for 45 minutes and the bleeding, which we thought had stopped. You remember, John, it starts again. It's like gushing down the back of my neck. And finally, John, who used his pastor skills, but also some of his medic skills, walked up and said, this man needs some, some treatment. Can you please get him in? So long story short, long story short, <laughs> they finally get me cleaned up. They pour some solution. By the way, I, you can still feel the dent in my head today. It's kind of cool. Six staples later, an ambulance ride and an emergency visit, uh, I went home. And I was tired and exhausted. And I was thinking to my, people ask, how in the world did that happen? I don't know. And I don't know why it happened. But I'm sitting there the next day and I'm thinking to myself, why? Why? Why is this happening? How did this happen? Did the pin fall out? Were people not servicing equipment? What is the deal? And um, I get a phone call the next day and it's the corporate office. Wow. I'm so special that they find it important to call me. And the guy says, how are you feeling today? Well, not great. I mean, I have six staples in my head. You know, I didn't say that. Oh, I'm good. Thanks for asking, you know. And then he says, um, just want to let you know, uh, as soon as you left, we checked the equipment and it works just fine. Now, I know where they were going with this conversation. So I just said, that's it. He goes, that's it. And we got off the phone. And I thought to myself, here I am left with this emergency bill, probably an ambulance bill. Now I've got st six staples in my head. Why in the world? I mean, what did I do wrong? Why, would, why did, the, did the pin fall out? Did I not put it in correctly? Were people not servicing the equipment? Whose fault was it? And why did it happen? I mean, there's a lot of pain. And I kid you not, two days later, we were out here for a kid's camping event and Janelle tore her ACL for the third time. And I'm thinking, my goodness, when it rains, it pours. You know this, you know this, right? And here's the truth, whenever you, I tell you that long story to tell you this, that whenever you find the weight of the world on you, whenever you feel like you can't stop the bleeding, whenever you are going through a time in your life where you are filled with pain and suffering, you ask this question, why? Why is this happening to me? Why do I have to go through this? Right? We look around at the world around us and we look at all the pain and suffering between wars and violence and famines and poverty and disease. And you look around the world at you, you think to yourself, why does this have to happen? And so many of us use this, use this as a way of proving that God does not exist. And I got to be honest, it's a pretty good argument. 
Why would God, who supposedly, according to your account and your Bible and your creation story, supposedly who loves us and made us out of love, why would he allow us to suffer? Well, here's an interesting thing, and there's a point I need to make before we get to the story, and that is this. Why is it that whenever we go through human suffering, it never starts with us, but it always stops with God? I mean, at the end of the day, the buck stops with God, right? It never starts with us. It's never our fault. Whatever we're going through is because God put us through it or God's doing this to me. So here's some obvious points I want to make. Uh, sometimes you make bad decisions. In fact, I heard a pastor say this, and it was so cute. A young lady uh, in our last service was taking notes. She provided them for me. This was her takeaway, and I heard a pastor say this. God did not die. God died for your sins, but he did not die for your stupidity. Your stupidity is something you have to die to on yourself. That was her main point. God died for your sins and not your stupidity. But the honest truth is you make bad decisions. I've made bad decisions. And in those decisions, we've hurt other people. Now the reverse is also true, right? Hurt people hurt people. There are people in your life who have caused you an amount of pain and an amount of suffering that you wish no one else would ever go through. There are people that claim they love you, claim that they're best friends of yours. There are people that you really like, and at the end of the day, you respect them, and they end up hurting you. And you think, really? And you go through suffering because of other people's choices. The other one is this. Accidents are just waiting to happen. I'm sorry. There are some of you here who cannot get out of the way of an avalanche. I mean, you can't even get out of the way of a, a, a pin needle that's coming at you. And, and unfortunately, some things are just unavoidable, right? Some of us are predis genetically predisposed to cancer. Some of us, unfortunately, get in accidents, like we slip off of roads and we run into telephone poles. At the end of the day, accidents happen. There are natural disasters. And the other thing, the last point that I want to make about suffering is this, is that sometimes you make good choices and you still get hurt for them. Have you ever, have you ever helped somebody or loved somebody or given something to somebody and at the end of the day, they turn around and use that very thing against you? Sometimes you make good choices and bad things still happen, which here's the good news, and you already know this, suffering and life is inevitable. It doesn't matter how long you're part of it, how long you're in it, if you're one years or 100 years, at the end of the day, there will be some sort of suffering in your life. And the question I think we're really wanting to ask is not, it's not, why does God allow suffering in the world? The question that we want answered is, does he care? Does God even care? And so I, I want to look at an, a great story that some of you know and some of you don't know. But before we get there, I want you to understand that the person who watched this story take place, the person who writes this story, was an eyewitness to this event. And so they write it, they write it with Jesus at the center of it. And the reason why they use Jesus at the center of it, and listen, I get it. If you're here and you're like, I'm not a follower of Jesus. I don't believe in that guy. I, I'm with you. I get it. I, could, I can fully understand that. And I think that the writer of this story was in the same position prior to this and prior to what Jesus goes through. This is 
My cousin, I'm not sure. You know? And so it's so interesting. I'm not sure if this is the guy, right? But, but here's what happens, right? It's, it's for him, Jesus is not just this guy, as we said last week, who was a revolutionary. There were plenty of people that did that. Jesus was not just somebody who claimed to be the son of God. By the way, this is why they crucified him. Caesar believed that he was God at this time, and you just don't claim that. And if you do, there's a good chance you'll die. But, but Jesus claims this. But that wasn't it for John. Jesus dies on a cross, but so did millions of other people. It's not it for John. What, was it, what happened with John and for John that, that made Jesus completely different was that he said he was going to die and he said that he was going to rise from the dead and he did it. And at that point, at that point, John gets into a place where he begins to understand, and this is so key, this is so important, that whatever we see in the life of Jesus reveals the very nature and character of who God is. Like, if you can't hear that, I need you to hear it. That whatever we see in the life of Jesus, it reveals who God is. And the reverse is also true. That whatever we believe to be true about God has to manifest itself and be reflected in the life of Jesus. If it didn't happen in the life of Jesus, it's not true about God. Whatever is said about God is true about Jesus. And whatever is true about Jesus is also the very nature of who God is. And that's where this story is going. It's about who is God when we're in the middle of suffering. And so here's the story. He starts out by saying, now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of a Mary, and her sister Martha. Uh, this Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume or essential oils. By the way, y'all thought essential oils, essential living thing was new, by the way, way before you were ever born. Uh, this is a great place and you get to see that. But anyway, she wiped his feet with her hair and he continues... So the sister sent word to Jesus. He says, Master, the one you love, the one you love is sick. Jesus loved Martha and her sister and, her sister and Lazarus as well. And then John puts this in here. But oddly, in other words, this isn't normal. Uh, what's about to happen next usually doesn't happen. But he says, but oddly, when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was for two more days. Now, John puts oddly in there to point out the absurdity of Jesus' actions. The other day I had a neighbor over to the house and she was telling us about uh, my mother. She goes, my mother-in-law has brain cancer and occasionally the, the tumor will push into the rest of her brain and she, she has these neurological issues and then she has to go to the ER to get treatment. And so she was saying that happened today. And so I call my husband and I tell him, your mom's in the hospital in the ER with neurological issues because of her brain tumor. And he says, Oddly enough, well, I've got a few more cars to fix. Um, I'm not sure when I'll get there, but I'll, I'll get there at some point. <laughs> She's like, uh, excuse me, this is your mother. You need to get over there right now. Right now. Right? And I think that when we have moments in our life, maybe we receive something like uh, a diagnosis that isn't all that great, you expect that loved ones would be there. When, when you get in a car accident and you're paralyzed, 
or you have something happen in your life that you don't anticipate happening and you can't get around, you would expect that loved ones would be there to help you. When, when you are finding yourself in a, in a place where you're about to lose your job and you're wondering how you're going to put food on the table and you're not really sure about that, the end of the day, you know that you have loved ones and you would expect loved ones would be there for you. But in this story, I think John writes this because this is the assumption that so many of us are under. And he puts it in here for this reason, is because when you're at the center of suffering, it feels like God stays home. Come on, you can't tell me you haven't had a moment in your life where you were going through it and you didn't say, where is God? Whenever you have suffering in your life, so often, and I think John puts it here on purpose, is because this is what we experience. It feels like God stays home. Anybody in this position? Anybody in this place? You're saying, I don't believe in God. I don't know that he exists, especially when I'm going through this. Is this some cruel joke that this man upstairs would be laughing at all this pain and suffering I'm going through? Is this funny to him? Is he just some old Gus that made us so he could like watch us be tortured the rest of our lives? And what we feel like is God doesn't care. But I'm glad this story doesn't end there, aren't you? Like, can you anticipate it? Some of you know the end of this story. But it continues. Here's what he says. After two days, he said to the disciples, let's go back to Judea. Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, and I'm going to go there, and I'm going to wake him up. The disciples said, Master, listen, I love this. Master, they've always got an immediate response for everything. They, they're the problem solvers. Who cares that Jesus is God? I mean, you know, they know what they're doing. Hey, listen, if he's gone to sleep, It'll be good if he gets some rest. And when he wakes up, he'll be feeling fresh and fine. <laughs> Jesus was talking about his death while his disciples thought he was talking about them taking a nap. <laughs> I'm glad some of you find this story funny. Then Jesus became explicit. In other words, that word sort of makes you feel uncomfortable. He says, Lazarus, he died. When Miles was like three and our grandfather-in-law died, when we went up to the casket, Miles goes, he dead. <laughs> he dead. We still say it to this day when that is no offense to you, but if you pass away, we would probably walk away and go, he dead. <laughs> and that's what Jesus is saying. He dead. I mean, he's dead. There's no coming back from this. And he says, and this is so interesting. This is where the story takes a turn. He said, and I'm glad for your sake, not for Lazarus' sake, not for everybody else's sake. He says, for your sake, that I wasn't there. Is that not confusing? This is good for my sake, that you weren't there? And then he says something really important. He says, because you are about to be given new grounds for believing. Whoa. Which seems to imply that maybe his disciples have a few questions about God. Does he really care? Where is he in the pain and suffering? Maybe they don't understand and maybe they don't believe, but he says, you're going to be given new grounds for believing. Now let's go. 
It's like the government shutdown. So interesting. Uh, some of you know the reason why we've yet to sell this property is because the government's been shut down. And um, even more interesting is when I tell people that, uh, they give me this wink like, yeah, I know you're on my side. And I'm like, I honestly don't even care. I just care that the government shut down. I'm not on one side or the other. But everybody thinks like you're on their side and you take it from their perspective. And it's just all kind of funny. But, um, but in this process, I, you know, people are freaking out. You know, we want to know what's going on. What's happening? Why aren't we selling the building? Is it going to fall through? And everybody's in this panic mode, right? And I don't care wherever you are on either side. I don't take sides. I really don't even care. Again, I don't care. But even in our divisiveness, we agree on one thing. That this experience has made us understand the importance of emergency. Like wherever you are on this thing and whatever you've experienced in this, uh, you have felt an emergency. And I, I love this too. Uh, Side note, the notes taken from this young lady last, last service. She says, the government is open, frowny face. <laughs> and it might close again, smiley face. <laughs> That's what she said. I thought that was kind of funny. But this whole experience for all of us has made within us the sense of emergency. And what's so crazy is God has made each of us He's made us so smart. He has given us the human capacity to solve so many issues and so many problems. And whenever there's emergency, we want immediacy. Are you with me on this? Whenever there's an emergency in your life, you want immediacy. And I wonder if God is just saying, we, you know, we want to use human reasoning. We want, to, we want to make sure that we get to it. But when we can't explain suffering, everyone begins to freak out. And God is saying, maybe, in this whole story, he's saying, maybe I'm not solving the emergency with immediacy because if I did, you would miss the miracle. You hear that? God doesn't solve Lazarus's emergency with immediacy because if he did, everyone would miss the miracle that's about to take place. It's, it's like the light bulb. The other day I was having breakfast with somebody and they said, have you considered the light bulb lately? No. Well, think about it. Edison used to stay up at night and he would... He would lose sleep thinking about the fact that there's this, this awesome chance that we could capture light in a little glass bulb. I mean, how amazing is this? And this guy went through 8,000 of them. In fact, you, don't, you may not know this, but according to this source, which I think is totally unreliable, um, said that there were 11 floors worth, sorry Dan, 11 floors worth of light bulbs. Could you imagine? I mean, I, that's like 88 feet tall, I think, right? If average floor is eight feet tall. Oh, no, 80. Oh, no, 88, yeah. My math is right today. And could you imagine the moment that he, after 8,000 light bulbs, he gets this one and he plugs it in and it turns on and it's like, after all that pain and suffering, after all that agony and after all that work, the one lights up and he's like, wow. It's a miracle. He could not appreciate the work and the miracle of what happened without 
the pain and the agony of suffering. And it's so interesting because when we have an emergency with a light bulb, it goes out, we just take it out, we go get a new one, and we plug it in without a second thought. You don't even know the miracle in front of you. I mean, look at this thing. Look at it. It's a miracle. But it didn't come without a hard work and suffering. And yet we take advantage of it. And this is what Jesus says. You wouldn't get it. If I just healed Lazarus, he's just sick. <coughs> he had a cough. He has a runny nose. If I just came and healed Lazarus, you would not believe because every other doctor running around with essential oils could solve this problem. And through this story, we begin, we begin to understand that, that suffering is necessary. In fact, the reason why Jesus lets it go to death is because that is the ultimate suffering. Nobody can solve that issue. Have you thought about this? Maybe you haven't, but if you haven't, let me help you. Death Nobody knows what's on the other side. Nobody knows what happens after we die. We can talk about it all we want. The truth is nobody knows. It is the ultimate suffering. And Jesus says, sometimes we have to go through it in order to see the miracle on the other side. Have you ever considered that perhaps you can't understand the power of light until you sat in a dark room? You can't understand the journey of joy unless you have had ultimate pain in your life. True sadness. Unless you've had true sadness, you cannot understand what joy looks like. You cannot understand what hope feels like. See, we can't define hope, but we know it when we experience. You can't define hope or have it until you've had despair. You can't. You can't understand healing Remember you, you've had something wrong with your leg and you remember how painful, anybody had knee surgery, you remember how painful it was to walk or hip surgery and then it's cured and you remember the difference. You cannot appreciate the healing until you've gone through that pain. And again, Jesus is making the point, there can be, there will be no resurrection without death. And for so many of us, for so many of us, we want immediacy in our emergency. And God's just saying, hang on, because a miracle, a miracle takes patience. So, continues two days later. He gets to Judea and Martha, uh, the sister of Lazarus, meets him out at the village, which, by the way, we don't understand this, but uh, you met royalty outside of the neighborhood. Like, if somebody came to your neighborhood and they were royal, you met them out at the gate. Other people you didn't care about, you just let them come over. But they meet Jesus outside of the village walls, and Mary's still at home, and she's angry about what happened. Just like you are when you have things in your life that you get angry about. She's at home. She's upset. Her brother has just died. I can't believe Jesus waited two days. He's been hanging out, doing his thing and whatever he wants to do. And now he shows up and he did. But Jesus sends somebody to go get her. And here's where we pick up the story. He says, 
The moment she heard that Jesus wanted her to meet her, she jumped up and she ran out to him. And Jesus had not yet entered the village or the town, but was still out at the place where Martha had met him. When her sympathizing Jewish friends saw Mary run off, they went after her. They followed her, thinking she was on her way to the tomb to weep there. Mary came uh, to where Jesus was waiting, and she knelt down at his feet saying, Jesus, if only you would have been there. If only you would have shown up in this emergency, my brother, who was only sick, would not have died. And when Jesus saw her sobbing, and he saw the Jews with her sobbing, listen to this. And I love this version of the message. He says, a deep, a deep what? Anger filled Jesus up. Jesus became angry about the suffering of the Martha and Mary and Lazarus. He is angry about the pain that they're going through. And he says, where did you put him? He continues, Master, come and see. They said, this is, this is where we put him. And when Jesus kneels down and he looks into the tomb and he sees Lazarus laying there, and he knows this could have been solved two days ago if I would have just shown up. But he sees what death looks like. In fact, he knows this is his future. In fact, he knows this is the future of all of us. In fact, every situation that you go through that gives you pain in some sense is a death. And what does it say? Jesus wept. Y'all know this is the shortest sentence in the Bible, but it's the most impactful sentence ever written in history. It's not that there's a God out there that doesn't care about you, but it's the fact that, no, through Jesus, God has shown up, and when you experience pain, he hears your cry, and he cries. He hears your pain, he hears you yell out, and he cries with you. And the only reason I know that not only because of Jesus wept, but because what others observed. And here's what they said. Look how deeply he loved him. Look how deeply he loved him. See, I, I totally understand that for some of you who are receiving medical news that perhaps you're not going to make it much longer, for some of you, again, who are on the verge of losing jobs or have lost their job. For those of us who have been in accidents or have experienced pain in our lives that has left us incapable of taking care of ourselves. But we look around us and we see so many people that, that are constantly depressed and taken over by their own mental mind that just hurts them and plagues them and tells them the worst things about them. When we look at addictions of meth and things that are so difficult to get out of. When we look at war and we look at famine and we look at the suffering around all of the world, we wanna say, God, do you care? Do you care at all? And he's right there crying with you. In fact, this is what I want you to know today. If you haven't heard anything today at all, and you're, you know, I need you to check back in. Here's what I want you to know. There is always uncertainty in your suffering. Whenever you are going through something tough, you will always ask the question, why is this happening? 
And does God even care? There will always be uncertainty and suffering, but you can be certain that God is at, at the center of whatever you're suffering. There's always uncertainty and suffering, but you can be certain that God is at the center of whatever you're suffering. And the reason why I highlight, and it makes all the difference, that word at, is because we have been conditioned to think, we have been conditioned and taught that God is the center of suffering. Do you see the difference? Instead of saying he's with you, we have been taught that God is the cause of whatever you're going through. That God causes you pain in your life. That God wants you to go through this. That's what we believe about God. But Jesus comes and he stands at your moment of despair and pain and death. And he says, I love you deeply and I'm with you. So for some of you who are on the verge, you're like, no, I'm not really sure. I don't really understand. Let me just say, maybe consider this perspective that instead of a God who is aloof and doesn't care and you think is the cause of all suffering, maybe he's just joined you in it. And I had a whole nother point that I can't get to because I don't have time. But for those of you that have been following God all of your life and you have it all together and you know, you're pretty confident of your faith. I heard this great quote by this lady named Brene Brown, by the way, amazing books. But she said, we treat faith like an epidural. So many of us treat our faith like an epidural. <laughs> we want an immediate response to our emergency when we should be treating faith like a midwife who's standing next to you saying, I know it's painful, but just keep pushing. I know it's painful, but keep pushing. I know it's painful, but keep pushing. Wow, that's encouraging. <laughs> but sometimes in life, there is a necessary suffering that has to happen in order for you to know the miracle that's already taking place in your life. Sometimes suffering has to take place for you to fully appreciate the God that is with you in your suffering. So this week, when you are praying that God would just take whatever it is away from you, just sense his presence saying, I know it's painful, but keep pushing because God is with you in that moment. Let's pray. Lord, we do give thanks for your goodness to us, for your life, for you on the cross. When we look at your life, we, we don't often consider the fact that what, whatever we're into, you've already been through. That we think we're the only ones who have lost good friends. Nope, uh, you were be betrayed. We think we're the only ones that when we're chasing our dreams and our family members don't seem to be backing us up. Well, at the end of the day, people left in your final moments. We look at all the natural disasters and the suffering around us and we say, why, why, why? Friend, you've been through storms. You've been through hurricanes. And ultimately, none of us here have been on the cross and yet it's something that you went through for us to show us that you stand in solidarity with us in the midst of our pain.
this is completely different than maybe what we've ever known. And I pray today that maybe there's somebody here who needs to hear that for the first time, that you're not angry, you don't enjoy our suffering, but you cry when we cry. Thank you for loving us. Amen.